Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Indiana, Toronto, break it down for me, buddy. 
how did the Raptors hold on to this game outside of the fact that DeRozan actually showed up? Yeah, I mean, um, I can't even count on my fingers because it's, it's more than 10 how many years that they've won a uh, playoff game. Um, 15, I'm kidding. I'm actually good with numbers. Uh, but, yeah, they they won this playoff series, and it, it 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 wrote on what we've talked about over the past few shows about their two key cogs showing up um, or disappearing, if you will. And it, DeRozan coming off a, a bad game six comes back and goes for 30 points, um, five rebounds, uh, two assists. But you like to see the three steals and two blocks as well, knowing that he's getting it done on the defensive end, uh, covering a guy like Paul George, who was seemingly Indiana's only chance of winning this series. Um, now, Lowry didn't really have that great of a game, although um, he did have nine assists to go along with 11 points. Um, so next series going forward, um, it's going to be a serious question question mark again. Are these two guys going to show up for them? They need them to show up if they want to have any chance in, you know, uh, making it to the, the, the conference final. So uh, I think they can do it. I think – you know they have they have enough to beat Miami. Um, although, as we talked about, Miami definitely has more experience than um, India or Toronto. But uh, on the same token, the youth of Toronto I think can overshadow the experience of Miami. Um, it's just they need those two guys to show up. Uh, for four games at least. Um, and don't expect Valentunas to, to have the numbers he was putting up um, in this series, averaging pretty much a double-double. Uh, now he's going to be going up against uh, Whiteside, who is an absolute monster on the glass and defensively. So um, they're going to have to shoot the ball lights out. That That is Lowry and DeRozan. Um, and I know Lowry likes to, to attack the rim, uh, so they're going to have a tough time attacking the rim while Whiteside's in. But Whiteside is also prone to foul trouble. So um, that's going to be the X factor in this series is can they get to the basket and can they get Whiteside in foul trouble? And I think if they can do that, they can have uh, a really good shot of winning this series. Well, I hope you're right, man. And speaking of Miami, um, they demolished Charlotte um, yesterday in their game seven. Uh, are you surprised by that at all? Or, I mean, personally, I'm surprised that Charlotte took it to seven games. Um, that's actually one of the, re- the biggest um, things that has me thinking the Raptors actually stand a chance because the Raptors are such a better team than Charlotte, in my opinion. And the Raptors will have home court advantage throughout this series, which definitely makes a big difference in those game sevens for sure. Um, you saw with Miami and Toronto both winning them at home, but also I was watching Paul George of the Pacers talk after the game, and uh, he kind of said it himself, like, you know, they gave it their all, but it's really tough to go into, um, you know, go on the road and win a game seven. So what do you think of the Raptors? um, What do you you think of the Raptors' chance based on what Charlotte was able to do to Miami? Uh, I think they they have definitely a good chance of winning the series, and as you said, um, you're surprised that our Charlotte Bobcats uh, made it seven-game series. Um, and I think Miami was really like, you know, how did we let this get this far and really put their foot down and really smoke them? And, and the X factor, surprisingly, in the Miami series was none other than Luol Deng, who averaged 19 points a game for them. Um, now, Dwayne Wade had a good game where he went for 28 and uh, a handful of assists, but really it was Luau Dang that was putting in the work, getting the most minutes every game, um, averaging 19, like I said, um, <clears throat> getting close to 10 rebounds a game. He's a guy that can play defense on about anybody besides the five position. So this is going to be a really good series. Um, if any of you listened in the past, I said, that Charlotte would struggle in this series because their best scoring option was Kemba Walker, and where Miami is really good defensively is defending the point guard position. Um, now, we know Toronto's 
uh, key guy, Kyle Lowry, is a point guard. So it remains to be seen, can uh, can he get the best of Goran Dragic um, and the other guys that will be defending the point guard? So that is also something we're going to have to take into consideration here and see the first few games, can Lowry get it done? Can he, can he get his 15 to 20 points and hand out seven or eight assists a game? Because um, they really need him to do so. Uh, as we saw, DeRozan, um, albeit a a scorer in this league and can do it at a very high rate, as he did in Game Seven by going for thirty, but we also saw him falter for two or three games in the series and really struggle from the line. So um, this is going to be a really interesting series, and uh, I don't want to uh, break your heart here, Lou, but I think Miami takes this one in in six or seven. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Zach. It is a little bit heartbreaking, but I really didn't think the Raptors were going to win game seven yesterday, even with their big lead that they got off to. I was worried about them falling apart. And as much as I believe they have more skill, they're a better team, the youth, um, you know, the youth is great. Come playoff time, the experience really does play a huge factor, and I just think that the Raptors don't meet um, the amount of experience, obviously, that the Heat have. And we'll see how it plays out. Sometimes athleticism and skill can win out. And sometimes, um, you know, experience does. And if DeRozan and Lowry both show up in in at least four of these games, then the Raptors are going to be going home and they'll be watching the Heat and the Cavs play for the conference final, I think. Right. It's all questions. questions. Yeah, like the Raptors simply need Lowry and DeRozan to show up, both of them, not just one, but both. And if they don't, then they'll, they'll lose. But speaking of, speaking of the current playoff series, that series Miami-Toronto will get going tomorrow evening, let's go over to the series that have already started in the Western Conference. And we have the Portland Blazers, surprising win over the Clippers um, in that series, and they'll be taking on the Golden State Warriors without Curry at least for another couple games, it seems like. Warriors seem to have no issue in game one of the series. What are your thoughts on the rest of this series? Let's say Curry misses the entire series. Does Portland even win a game or two? I think they could steal a game or two, um, as we saw them do with the Clippers early on before Chris Paul broke his hand and uh, you know, Blake Griffin, Terrace Quad, which is truly unfortunate um, because I thought, you know, with those two guys, uh, I thought they would have breezed through Portland and had a couple of games uh, with a Curryless Warriors team and possibly been able to sneak uh, a couple wins, two or three, before Curry got back on the floor. So I thought it could have made for an interesting series. Um, but now we have Portland in this situation. I think they can sneak one at home, but I think they do not have enough, even with Curry out. Uh, We saw uh, Draymond Green, triple-double machine, go 23-13-11 assists, filling up the stat sheet with a steal and three blocks as well in that game. And, uh, you know, Clay Thompson is, is overshadowed by Steph Curry because of how great of a shooter Curry is, but we can't forget that Clay. If you're if you're showing your kid um, a jump shot, a video to watch a jump shot, you're gonna show Clay jumps or Clay Thompson, Clay jump shot, Clay Thompson, um, his jump shot and his form is just um, pristine. It's absolutely gorgeous. He went for 37, um, five rebounds, and he also had five assists. And their bench just goes 10 deep. They got 10 guys that can that can really play ball. Iguodala, Murray Space, uh, Livingston, who's starting for Curry, is uh, a former top three pick who is really a point guard but is, is six seven and can really um, post up any of the guys that are trying to guard him. Um, you know, Lillard went for 30 points, but that took him 26 shots. Um, so that's not really saying a whole ton. I mean, you, you like to see 30 points, but to take that many shots to get there is – is inefficient, and C.J. McCollum didn't show up, only having 12 points. So I think this series uh, probably 
ends up a five-game series with Golden State moving on. Yeah, well, you said it right there. The inefficiency is what's going to kill you. It doesn't matter how many points you put up. If you're taking all those shots and only scoring that many points, it's going to hurt your team one way or the other. Let's go over to the OKC Thunder and the San Antonio Spurs. And, I mean, as much as I want to think that OKC has a chance because I do like them, um, Spurs lost, what, one game at home all season this year? So, yeah. who's this, I mean, with their Again, home court advantage, even if OKC, even if OKC is able to win all three of their games in Oklahoma, and I'm not saying they're going to be able to, the Spurs are a better are a better ball club overall. They're they're going to have to do what only one team was able to do all year to the Spurs, and I just don't see it happening. Um, I think this series could actually be done in five or six too. And there's nothing against the Thunder. They're a great team. The Spurs are just that much better. Talk about professionalism and playoff experience. That's that's the Spurs. It's written all over them. It's like in their DNA. Yeah, no question. And as you said, they lost one game at home, and that was to the to the Warriors. So um, they've been a stout at home. Uh, Aldridge. Just went berserk in Game One, um, and when we talked about Damian Lillard's inefficiency, um, Aldridge was ultra efficient, going 18 for 23, 38 points, six rebounds, or 35 points. Um, and then their other, you know, their the face of their franchise moving forward, Kawhi Leonard, only had to play 21 minutes and still had a solid line of 25 points, five rebounds, five assists. He's just a defensive stopper. He's a guy that can um, cover Westbrook. He can cover Durant. So um, whatever guy is, you know, about to go off, because um, we know the the poor play by Russ and Durant is not going to happen all series. They're going to turn it on. They're going to be the two guys that, that we've seen their whole careers. Now, um, is that enough to uh, make this a series? I don't think so. I do think Oklahoma City can win two games. I don't really think it goes seven. Um, but kind of like what we said um, after game one of Toronto and Indiana, when Lowry and um, DeRozan went something like eight for 37, uh, we're not going to see Westy and, and KD play this poorly. So I think um, while they might not win a game in San Antonio, they could win a game or two at home. Um, but I just think, you know, with the the veterans on the team, you know, the Parkers, the Duncans, the Ginobili's, David West, a guy who, who signed for a uh, million dollars when other teams were offering him seven to eight million, um, just wanting to play for a championship team. You know, all that veteran presence. And then you throw in um, Kawhi Leonard, who – Easily could have won Defensive Player of the Year, um, or he did uh, win Defensive Player of the Year. And Aldridge, a guy who is a prolific scorer at the power forward position, um, and OKC is going to have himself in some trouble. So uh, I don't see this series going past six, um, sadly for OKC. And uh, I think that. Um, you know, firing Scotty Brooks was a was a bad call at the beginning of the season, um, just because they never made it that far in the playoffs. It's not totally his fault, and um, with new coach, uh, his name's slipping out of my tongue. Coach Florida um, men's best, uh, Billy Donovan, um, is not really equipped to coach an NBA team. I um, mean, it's been evident throughout the season uh, where he had times where he has neither Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook on the floor for large amounts of time. Um, and it wasn't until really late in the season that he figured out, oh, hey, maybe I should, uh, you know, switch these guys in and out uh, and kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, um, space them out so one of them's on the court at all times, whether it's Russell Westbrook sitting and, and Durant playing for – those three minutes that Westy's resting and then he, you know, switches in. So um, coach-wise, they're not on the level that Pop is. Um, and player-wise and experienced, 
they're not on the level of the Spurs, so this doesn't get past six games. Yeah, I see. I see it ending in five. I see Spurs. Take, I mean, it took game one. I see them taking game two. OKC might win one of game three or four. Go back to San Antonio for game five. Down three one. Spurs will end it in five. Again, it's nothing against OKC. I do agree with you. That's a great point about the coaching, though. I mean, I think. I mean, I don't know anything about coaching in the NBA. I mean, I don't know anything about coaching in any league, really, but especially the NBA. Uh, out of the four major North American sports, but I, common sense would tell me that you should always have one of those two guys on the. If they're, assuming they're both suited up and ready to go, not missing game or an injury or something, at least one of those guys should be on the court at all times because it's not like yes. they're that deep, anyways. You know, like it's like no, they're not at all. And he would have he would have uh, periods because I have the NBA league pass where you know you can watch every game. There would be points. Um, during games that were close where there would be um, periods of time of, you know, six to seven minutes where Russ and KD were both on on the bench. And you got you have guys like Dion Waiters and Ennis Cantor and Brandon Morrow um, trying to stay in, the, stay in the game. And then it's like, oh, well, they just lost the 15-point lead we had, so now let's go back and put both of our stars back in, whereas, you know, you keep one of them on the court and you, you hold on to the lead or keep the game close instead of digging yourself a, a hole. Well, I guess the only live and you learn, and if we're noticing yeah. it, I'm sure someone else um, with more say. About yeah, he figured it out. Their organization is, yeah, it's, it's going to be going on. I mean, crazy things do happen. You never know, maybe an injury happens and uh, OKC takes the series or makes it a series. Who knows? In playoffs, in any sport, anything can happen. But let's move over to probably the hottest topic of the week, and that was the NFL draft. And this week I only really want to talk about, uh, obviously, the top five and then two specific guys um, that went late in the first and I guess in the later stages of the second round as well. But next week, I definitely want to do, uh, we should definitely do a little bit of a uh, deeper um, analysis of the draft. Maybe we'll even do yeah. on a draft expert, an NFL draft expert as well next week. I'm working on that right now. But let's uh, let's get to this. And I mean, we talked a little bit about golf and Wentz, maybe not last week, but the week before, um, after some of the trades that were made by the Rams and then the Eagles. But now it's official. They have, they have all these players, they have their teams, and we now know Jared Goff, number one overall pick, quarterback to the St. Louis Rams. And the more I read about this kid, the more I really start to scratch my head on was it the right move by the Rams to really move up and make this pick because they gave up a lot to get him. And, yeah, he's a good prospect, but by no means is he a sure thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was a, a surefire a pick here with either quarterback, and I think we both alluded to that notion um, in, in past shows. So, you know, giving up the farm um, – for either one of these guys is a questionable move. Um, and, you know, it, you can always do that to yourself um, where you look up something and it, it makes you scratch your head more. It's kind of like uh, when you feel sick or something and you and you look up your symptoms on Google and then you think you're dying. Um, you can pretty much overthink any, any pick, um, look at every single flaw, read many different things about many different uh, people's opinions on what he can do and what he can't do. But I think Jared Goff was the uh, more NFL-ready quarterback, so if that's what the Rams were shooting for, I think they got their guy. Um, now, things I I um, ponder here is he played in the Pac-12, um, and he didn't beat any of uh, the Pac-12 opponents that played in bowl games, uh, Stanford, Oregon, and he was losing to those teams all the time, but just putting up crazy numbers because they were 
they were a passing team. Um, you know, once has more enticing physical physical uh, tools. Um, but at 21 years old, you know, he's going to continue to fill, fill out physically. Um, and he played three years, and it's it's a good sign for Los Angeles. Um, they're moving out to their new new uh, stadium and uh, a new start. Um, and what they did after, I mean, they had to wait 108 picks um, to pick again because of, you know, the overhaul that they had to get to the number one pick. But after, you know, the, their 108 picks they watched, they, they went and got a tight end, Higby, who is supposed to be an enticing tight end prospect. Um, and then I believe uh, four, four out of the five picks they had after Goff were weapons for Jared Goff. Um, so you have a guy like Todd Gurley already there that's going to be uh, the main focus of their offense. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give Goff um, the time, if you will, to really uh, develop because he's not going to be forced in there um, right away and be asked to chuck the ball 40 times like, like some quarterbacks were um, drafted highly overall, um, put into a situation without an established running game, um, finding themselves down uh, multiple scores and having to pass. Um, that's not going to be the situation in L.A., where they have an established running game with Gurley that can keep you in games with a defense that's really good as well that's going to keep you in games. So this is going to allow Jared Goff the the time to uh, adjust to anything that um, the NFL throws at him that he's not accustomed to or not ready for. Um, but his physical his physical tools are are apparent and evident, and he is the most NFL ready quarterback in the draft. So I think um, obviously hindsight, you, you were looking at the draft, you can say they gave up too much, but my theory is um, if you get a guy that becomes a good NFL quarterback, there's not ever too much to give up to get that guy um, because the, the um, uh, prototypical. Doc, uh, yeah. Doc, we actually have a caller it looks like from the 646 okay. area code. And six four six area code, you are on the line with us. Who, where are you sort of, where are you calling from, and what is your name? Hey guys, this is Bryce calling from Brooklyn. How you doing today? Wonderful. We yourself, are man. doing fantastic. Doing Bryce, good. Doing good. I, I came across the show, heard you were talking a little bit about the NFL draft, and wanted to talk about my my Pittsburgh Steelers and how they did in the draft. If that's okay. Absolutely, yeah, man. Go for it. You have a question for us? You have some comments? Well, I, I mean, I have comments, and then I wanted to just get your thoughts on those comments. Um, so I give the draft grade, I would say, a solid B. Um, not going to give it an A because I think they got the best available talented players for the positions of need. Like if you look at Burns, Burns to me was a, was a top five corner in the draft, but he was clearly number five. So when the other four guys were gone, I think that that gives way to Burns being picked there, particularly with us needing help in the secondary. That guy's long. He was very productive. He's very fast, aggressive. I think he'll be a, a nice pick, particularly at 25. Um, I love Davis and Hargrave. I think those guys are going to bring their lunch pails. They bring a lot of physical gifts and production to the defensive line and to safety. Those are two good picks. I, lo- I like the Feeney pick because I think he was also very productive, just an athletic freak. Um, he's got to get a little bit more bend around the edge, but I think he'll be a good outside linebacker and a prospect that we can mold. Um, Hawkins at tackle is another guy with a lot of ability, again, that we can mold. And then we got a good special team or tackling machine with Matekovic, who at Temple was just all over the place making all all kind of tackles. So, I give us a solid B. Um, I like the Burns pick. Some people think we reached, but I think you know with Joseph being off the board, that was the that was the best pick. But the other corners being off the board as well. So, just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I'll let Zach uh, field your question first. And Zach, let's go over to you. And uh, do, you, do you agree with uh, Bryce from Brooklyn, big Steelers fan, obviously? Um, that 
the Steelers had a pretty solid draft, or would you like to see them go in a little bit of a different direction? No, I think I think they they hit the positions they needed. Unfortunately, um, because of work, I wasn't able to watch pretty much any of the draft to see you know what players um, were available at times or who was picked right before. But I do like Burns in the first round. They they have a need at corner. Um, he needs a little zone uh, coverage improvement, um, and there's some questions about his uh, technique. But he is a he's a proven playmaker, a guy with six interceptions. Um, and you know, Mike Tomlin's uh, background is in the secondary, so I think he can groom this player to become um, a a real good NFL cornerback. Um, and then later in the draft, I mean. You know, they got Sean Davis as well, safeties to help out on the back end. I think that's where they, you know, really needed it. And we're looking, you know, Lou, as we background in fantasy football, um, you're playing guys when they're they're going up against the Steelers' um, secondary. You want to have guys playing against their secondary because that's where they're weak. And I think the Steelers did a really good job of, of trying to patch that up with those first two picks there. Um you know, it's all the Steelers are going to be an absolute force this year, Bryce. Um, it's a team, as a Buffalo Bills fan, that I'm absolutely scared of. I hate the Patriots, um, but I think the Steelers are the best team in the AFC. And I think um, what they did there on the the defensive side, uh, the defensive backfield in the first two picks, um, you know, I've seen grades as well, like you said, D uh, or C. But you know, you can't get those top four corners. They're not going to fall to you, but you take the best player available at that position. That's what you do when you have needs, and they did that. So you cannot fault them for doing that. Um, and then Hawkins in the third round, um, the tackle out of LSU. You, know, you talk about, um, you know, building an offensive line, and these guys that come out of the SEC tend to, tend to be – um, better than they're graded just because of the the this um, how good their conferences are and how run heavy the SEC is. Um, you know, last year LSU um, having a, a big running game. I think Gerald Hawkins could be a good fit. I don't know if he's going to fit in right away, but um, he's a guy that they can groom to become a starting tackle. So I think the Steelers, you know, did an okay job and. They are getting harshly, harshly graded by a lot of analysts. But for for your team, Bryce, I think you got to be pretty optimistic that they filled the holes that are needed. Whereas sometimes teams take players that um, are not necessarily needed. For instance, um, my Buffalo Bills drafted C.J. Spiller when they already had Marshawn Lynch at right. number nine overall. You know. That's a stupid mistake. They could have took someone else that was needed. And look at where C.J. Spiller is now. And look what Marshawn Lynch did after. So I think they did a great job of um, attending their needs. So I think I think you got to be feeling pretty good about Bryce. Yeah, and Zach, you uh, you covered you covered it pretty well. I do want to mention, you know, the Steelers ranked 30th in the league in 2015 in the secondary. Uh, so this is obviously a big area of need. What I have read is that Burns is going to be a pretty strong fit um, based on his speed and his range and his length because he's going to be able to hold up both in the press uh, coverage as well as man-to-man. And I don't know much else beyond Burns about the Steelers' draft, but I do know that, um, that Bryce, you correct me if I'm wrong, just you're obviously the Steelers' guru at least on this show, um, their second-round pick from last year, I think Senquez Golson, um, he missed all of last year. And yes, he's coming right. back as well, right? Yes, so, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. So, big – so, you know, just that with that addition plus the other additions they've made in this draft, I mean, their offense, they, they don't need to touch it. Um, you know, it's definitely the most explosive and exciting in the NFL, realistically. Definitely the, the uh, AFC. So, if I'm, if I'm them, I'm defense, defense, defense all the way because that's what's going to make or break uh, their success come playoff time. So, 
I, if I'm a Steelers fan, I'd be thrilled with their draft. Um, and as Zach mentioned, uh, I think they're the team to beat, at least heading into the uh, season, especially with the Brady suspension, Payne Manning's retirement. Right. Yeah, is, there I mean, any, is there anything else we could uh, help you with today? you have any more comments based on what Zach or I had to say about your boys? Well, I think I think your analysis is is really spot on. Um, you know, granted, if Brady serves his four-game suspension, which I don't think he's going to be able to wiggle his way out of this one this year, he's probably going to have to serve that. You know, I think that can put Pittsburgh really, really in the driver's seat. And, you know, I like the production of the picks. Again, I didn't give it an A simply because I don't think there's not any particular pick, aside from maybe Burns, but I doubt it, that you're saying, okay, this guy's going to come in from day one and be your guy. But I think as the season progresses and they get coached up, they're going to be solid contributors this year with a Golson coming back, um, with a Cockrell who ended up coming on board last year from Buffalo and did pretty well. He actually wasn't too bad. And Willie Willie Gay as a corner is actually on the low, very, very good, which is surprising to a lot of Steelers fans. But, you know, that guy didn't give up a touchdown last year, uh, a deep ball. So, you know, there's some things to work with there. And I think the the draft class can really help. Um, Solid picks, solid picks. Now, Bryce, let me ask you one question. Um, Since you're a Steelers guy here, uh, one thing that broke in the off season here, um, and as you know, I, I mentioned before, Lou and I are, are avid fantasy football players. Um, uh, Martavis Bryant suspended for the season. Do you think Marcus Wheaton can take that next step forward? I mean, we saw him take a, a good step forward um, last year, but this was a guy that came out um, with the the same athleticism, speed, all the same attributes as Brandon Cooks and actually from the same school as Brandon Cooks, um, do you think Wheaton takes a step forward and can be that number two guy behind, behind Antonio Brown? Or do you think they need a big, tall big tall guy like Bryant who's going to be out for the season? And how much do you think that hurts them? Ooh, that's a great, great question. Wheaton, the, the good thing Pittsburgh and, and Tomlin and Colbert have done and the receiver selections is that they've gotten different types of guys to come in and perform, right? So if you look at Martavis Bryant, this guy's an athletic freak. You're going to miss that type of athleticism. No one's, no one's making that up. Even Antonio Brown, as great as he is, if you just look on paper, he doesn't have the athletic type of skill that Martavis Bryant does. He's just imposing fast. So Maybe that's nobody so, in the league does. Maybe nobody well, in the league. The size, so. too. The size, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah size, mean, nobody in the his, league has the size and Yeah, and his rack, his run after catch, yeah, yeah, and his run after catch is just ridiculous. Having said that, I do think from eight games on last year that Wheaton really, really came on, and he can be the type of player that can supplement what Martavis does because he can get 15 to 20 yards down the field, run the in route, catch the football. He he is a fast guy. He is a guy that will run hard after the catch. He does have good hands. He can work the middle of the football field. And they started using him more into that. So he may not have the, the deep, deep over-the-top speed that Martavis has, but he is a fast guy. I think they can use him in different spots and supplement him, which is why you go out and sign Darius Green. Because I think Green in the middle of the field can get down the seam. He's proven he can do that. He's got the speed to help supplement what Wheaton does. So I think you add those elements with the running backs, you can make up for Martavis Bryant not being there, which they were able to do in the in the first four games last year when he got suspended. So I think they'll be okay because Wheaton's a different type of receiver. I think his route tree is a little bit more wide open than Martavis. Yeah. Bryce, are you happy that they didn't bring back Mike Wallace because there were rumors of that? You know, it's not about you know. For me, it's not a happy thing. It's you know, if he would have came in for the veteran minimum for the right price, I would have taken Mike Wallace back. He still has freakish speed. He still can take the top off the coverage. I wouldn't have minded if he's going to come in, be a good teammate, play his role, and it was going to cost him that much. I thought maybe that was going to happen. Um, you never want to see your rivals get a player, but okay, he went to Baltimore, so but I wasn't you know, I wasn't I wasn't surprised either way. I want to say one thing. You know what? I don't think he's going to be that good in Baltimore. 
Really? If he wasn't okay. good anywhere. He would have been. He would have had much, much more success. He wasn't. He wasn't that good anywhere. I want to make two points here quickly. Um, he wasn't good anywhere. Uh, I mean, besides Pittsburgh from the start, um, he was not good in Minnesota. He didn't fit their scheme, and he didn't fit Teddy Bridgewater. Now, I will say um, the dislike I have for Mike Wallace and him as a football player and his route tree only having one route and that's going deep, that fits perfectly with Joe Flacco and his arm. Right. Um, but one thing I do want to say that you brought up, Bryce, and I think is a huge proponent um, to their offensive success this year is that of Ladarius Green. This is a guy that backed up Antonio Gates all of his career, um, and we saw – uh, very little of him um, without Antonio Gates on the field, but in those times he was very, very productive. And then later on in the year when they started using double tight on sets and um, getting Ladarius Green involved, he was a guy that um, was very effective and, and teams had to account for him, had to adjust their their, their coverage to roll coverages um, over the middle uh, towards him and uh, arguably he was a better tight end than Antonio Gates at the latter of this season um, with Gates being, you know, so aged. Um, Legarius Green has, hasn't had a shot being a number one tight end. Um, he has the physical attributes just like Antonio Gates did, you know, a big, tall, fast, uh, you know, got hops. He is prototypical, you know, basketball player type tight end. This guy can be electric in this offense. Just think, Keith Miller is probably one of the least athletic tight ends, and think how productive he was with Ben Roethlisberger being a safety blanket. Imagine Ladarius Dean as Ben Roethlisberger's safety blanket and how effective he can be. So I think that's a great point um, of soliciting somebody making up the um, production loss for Martavis Bryant. I think Ladarius Green um, could be that guy. Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent point. Um, you know, one thing that Heath, you know, Heath slowed down as he got older, but you know, Heath to me is one of the best tight ends we've had in the past ten years in terms of all around tight end routes, hands, question. being able to block, pass, run blocking, and pass protection. He's very good. He's good on the move and the formation. Just a solid football player and. I don't know if you can really replace all that, but you can no. start by trying to get Ladarius Green. <laughs> yeah, Ladarius Green's he's not going to help in the blocking aspect, but he can help you on the receiving end, that is for sure. But they have guys like uh, uh, Space and um, uh, another guy, Jimmy something. Um, yeah, yeah, Jesse, the, yeah, Jesse James. Just Jesse James that are, are – um, better blockers than Green is. So I think they'll be fine in that aspect. Yeah, and Green still and, – and Ladarius, you know, when you watch him on tape, you know, he will get after it in the run game. He's, he, he's right. got to get a little stronger, but he doesn't shy away from the contact, which is good. You know I mean? Sure. No one, no one's going to be – it's going to be hard to be Heath Miller. I mean, that guy was really, really great. But I think he'll suffice in that in that area. But, yeah. Well, next you gotta, to win, I think. Next to Jason Wooden, I think, Keith Miller was probably the most complete tight end in the National Football League for years. No doubt. Um, you know, he's not necessarily the best at anything, but very, very good at everything. Good at everything. Yeah. Great all-around all football player. I mean, this guy was so underrated. Yeah, yeah. He was really fun to watch. He just knew how to play tight end. Soft hands, could find the open zones. He's a really good guy. And I think Wheaton, they tried to use Wheaton in some of that area, and I can only see that expanding with him having time in the system and work with Ben Roethlisberger. So, yeah, he you know, had some we'll huge okay. games last year, huge games. Yeah, he had some really good games. I mean, we're getting hopefully Le'Veon's back, and, and he's ready to go. I mean, that guy works the underneath stuff in the pass game. He's just he's one my, of the best running backs in the league. My so. favorite player in the league, and I'm a Bills oh, fan. He's tough, man. That dude, he's tough. Tough to bring down. Knows how to get skinny. Great football IQ. He knows how to run. Yeah. So patient. So patient. Yeah, yeah his, I love his biggest thing, Le'Veon's biggest thing is going to be health for sure. Yeah. Uh, Bryce, yeah. thank you so much for the call and the insight on the Steelers. We are going to move on 
to some of the other uh, players, picks, and teams from the draft, uh, please feel free to continue to listen. Uh, if you'd like, we could even uh, keep you on on the line and uh, get your take on some of these players. Totally up to you, my friend. Oh, you know what, guys? I've got to I've got to get off and and do a couple things here. But I wanted to, to just call in because I liked what you had to say, and it was a lot of fun talking to you. All right. Yeah. All right. Sure, well, man. Call and take care. Call in again next week. All right, that was Alrighty. Bryce from Brooklyn. Um, so we talked, obviously, about golf, Zach. We talked about uh, Carson Wentz with the Eagles. Let's go over to the Chargers, third overall pick, defensive end Joey Bosa. And there's no surprise here. The Chargers took the best defensive player, arguably the best defensive player in this draft. And for good reason, because the Chargers finished 27th last year, sorry, 24th last year in sacks, and I believe they were towards the bottom of the league in just um, overall pressure on the quarterback. So are you surprised at all? Because I'm not, that they took a defensive end. No, they definitely needed to, and I think it was a a great pick by them. Um, You know, he he is a 4-3 defensive end, um, but he's going to play a 3-4 in San Diego. He was the top-graded defensive end against the run and the pass um, in the past two seasons. So over the past, you know, two seasons of his college career, he was the best defensive end um, in terms of uh, both pass and run. So that's saying a ton. Um, and that really sets up this Charger defense. They are, lo- they are loaded outside um, with a guy I really love, Melvin, El- Melvin Ingram. Um, they have a tattoo, and now they're adding Joey Posa into the mix. Uh, I think it makes their defense definitely a little more formidable. Um, now, I think they'll still be uh, a defense in the probably bottom half of the league, but it's definitely a good start to, to draft a guy that can be a kingpin um, for your defense for years to come. Yeah, well, you know what? The Chargers might be doing something very smart here and building a little bit of a solid defense and kind of waiting for their window of opportunity to um, try and take over in this division. I mean, it's going to be a couple years anyway, at least with that Broncos defense. The Raiders are improving. The Chiefs are pretty solid, too. Uh, That's a highly competitive division. So, smart for them to kind of go after their areas of need, young players that they can develop, and – be ready to compete when they have that window of opportunity. Let's go over now to, of course, something to put a smile on my face. Um, not that they were picking fourth overall because it means they had such a terrible season last year, but the Cowboys. Many experts say that Ezekiel Elliott is the most complete, not the best, the most dynamic, but the most complete running back in at least a decade to come out of the NFL draft. And that is saying a lot, considering some of the um, the talent that has come out of the running back position, uh, the running back position from the NFL draft. And again, I want to be very clear: not the most dynamic, not necessarily the best. Um, you know, doesn't have the, the abilities necessarily of Gurley and Peterson in a lot of ways. However, overall, blocking, receiving, rushing is everything. And believe he's a complete player. And playing behind this offensive line in Dallas with hopefully healthy Tony Romo and guys like McFadden and Morris behind him and there to also be able to guide him and teach him. Is Sky not the limit for this kid? Absolutely. And there's one number I want to bring up here, the unexciting number, but it's just going to show and reiterate what you just said, Lou, um, being the most complete back of, you know, maybe the past decade. So here it is. He surrendered one pressure on 102 pass blocking attempts. One pressure. Um, The biggest thing for running backs in the NFL um, and how they get their playing time is how they pass block, how they pick up on – on schemes, and Pick this kid blitz, is, yeah. yep, Pick up that blitz, is already second. You'll be getting is, more playing time. So for a guy that uh, is graded out to be 
the best pass the best pass blocking running back to come out in uh, at least a decade or, or more. Um, this guy's going to get on the field right away behind this line that featured, you know, the best ru- rushing attack um, when DeMarco Murray was there. Um, and then last year, you know, faltered somewhat um, with the bevy of running backs that were injured and um, R- Romo being out, so uh, people putting eight in the box more often. But this kid's electric outside of his, his blocking skills. I'm not, I'm not saying, um, you know, he's so great because of his pass blocking. I mean, the, the kid is an electric running back, and behind the best offensive line in the league, um, there's no reason this guy can't immediately run for a thousand yards. Um, and if we're if we're talking fantasy, like we rarely do on this show, but we'll be doing on Saturdays um, in the first week of June for Major League Fantasy Sports, um, his name will be brought up a lot because I think he can end up being a top five, at least top ten running back um, in this league. I think the only thing that would procure him from, um, you know, being a top five guy is uh, how much they use uh, Murray and Morris. But, um, you know, if he's a a three-down back, uh, this guy finishes as a top five uh, running back in fantasy, mark my words. Yeah, well, he's definitely a three-down back. He's every down back for sure. It's just a matter of um, like if they'll said, let him know, do it. If they're going to give McFadden enough touches, yeah. they're going to um, more some touches. I mean, they they knew that they were likely going to be able to get Elliott at four since they know their draft pick, and they still went out there and signed Alfred Morris for a reason. So you got to think right. That, He's going to be involved to some level. Um, however, however, maybe they use Morris kind of the way that um, the Panthers use a Mike Tolbert type of guy, more as a fullback type of situation, especially with the luxury of having Elliott being able to block the way a fullback could pass block, you know? Right. Um, it, having those two back sets could be very um, effective for a team like the Cowboys who want to keep Romo healthy and want to have mass protection for him, but also want to be able to have him hand the ball off way the bit, kind of like you saw in 2014, um, because that just kept him healthy. It opened up the passing game, as you mentioned. And, I mean, that's that's the way they built this offense, is behind that offensive line. I believe, they're, I believe four of the five guys have been first-round picks Sorry, three of the five have been first-round picks in the last five years, and then they signed Lyle Collins, who would have been a first-round pick. So they have four yeah. first-round caliber picks on that offensive line. Um, I, I, you can't, I really there's like arguably that. no better line in the league to be running I, behind. I really like um, what your boys did in taking Jalen Smith as well. I, uh, I wanted the Bills to, to make that move. Um, Notre Dame player that was injured um, in his last game, um, but was arguably the number one pick coming into the draft before the injury. Um, so while he may not be playing in 2016, uh, this is a guy that your boys got at a discount that um, was probably going to be taken number one overall. Well, they seem they seem to do do that a lot. Um, I'm just hoping that. They can finally, um, you know, they can get back on track to uh, their winning ways. And this year they're not playing uh, your your boys. Um, they played the AFC East last right. year, so we, we don't have to worry about them competing against one another. Um, and hopefully both teams have stronger seasons than they did last year, that's for sure. Um, speaking of a team that had a strong season last year, at least – stronger than most would have expected, and that's because of um, my, um, my my boys, the Allen brothers and Bortles. Um, and man, did we talk a lot about those guys last year, and I'm sure we will be doing it again. Um, they went out and addressed their area of need, which is defense. We clearly no issues with that offense last year. And they brought they got a guy who I thought the Cowboys were going to draft him for, and that's cornerback Jalen Ramsey. So, with Ramsey, do the Jags 
are the Jags that much of a better squad? Are they are they a team to look out for this year in that division that now seems to be actually competitive? It went from being Colts all the way to now Houston's much improved with Lamar Miller and Brock Osweiler. Uh, the Colts should be better than they were last year, obviously. They'll have Andrew Luck, hopefully, for a, for a full season. The Titans still have a lot of work to do. But um, the Jags, I mean, they can win ball games simply with Bortles and the Allen brothers. And, um, you know, they should, get, they should get better production from the running back position this year, you would think. And they're bringing in one of the best defensive players um, that was, you know, available in this draft, and Ramsey. So what's your outlook for the Jags now heading into the year? Yeah, I think they bring it up to the podium um, right after your boys took Elliott to, to make this pick, hoping that he would fall to them. Um, and it's a great pick. And uh, if you've listened to any of our past, you know, prior football shows, the Jaguars are my are – my, uh, they really hold my heart as a team. They're my second favorite team. I love them. Bortles and the Allen Bros have been talked about a bunch. Um, the defense is where they need help, and Ramsey um, is going to come in and fit in right away. Uh, this guy can play in the slot. He can play outside. He can play safety. Um, the guy has even linebacker ability um, if he were to play in the slot. Um, but what they really want to do is develop him on the outside where he only played one year at Florida State. Um, and if he does develop well, he can become the top cornerback in the NFL. This is the kind of um, skill and ability and freakish, freakish athleticism um, this guy possesses. Um, and now you look at a defense, Telvin Smith, Paul Pazlozny, um, they're going to get uh, Fowler, who they drafted third overall last year, uh, the defensive end from Florida, who missed all of last season due to a torn ACL. They're going to get him back as well. So uh, this defense is actually going to be pretty formidable um, going forward. And, you know, we already know what their offense can do. And I think what you said, Lou, is, is the, the key to their ignition is um, can they get any kind of running, running game going um, with Yeldon? Uh, we saw flashes of it last year, but not anything that we, we really expected out of him. So they can make improvements there. Um, I think this team can – can win eight games, maybe even more, and uh, be in the hunt for a wild card spot. Because um, we know their offense can put up numbers, um, and their defense was uh, middle of the pack last year. And now you add uh, two playmakers in Ramsey and um, Fowler, the guy I mentioned who was their third pick overall last year who got injured. So um, this team has a bright future. Um, so I'm excited for them. As like I said, they're my second favorite team. I think I think they got everything in place. Um, we talk about the Allen Bros. They also have Rashad Green, who came out a little bit at the end of last year. And some of the guys in the building of the Jaguars said that um, when Rashad Green uh, develops, um, his potential is is higher than Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson. So imagine that having three. Uh, stud-like wide receivers with, with Bortles and his competency of getting his playmakers the ball. This seems to be pretty scary. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to watch the Jags this year, and I don't think I've ever say that my entire life. <laughs> let's, uh, right. let's, we're definitely not going to be able to get to any of these MLB series um, today, but I do want to talk about two other quarterbacks that went in this NFL draft. And that is quarterback Paxton Lynch to the Broncos and quarterback Christian Hackenberg to the Jets. Um, Broncos definitely needed a quarterback besides Mark Sanchez. It looks like this whole Colin Kaepernick thing is not going to happen after all. Um, do you think Paxton Lynch has a chance to start game one of the season, or do you think it's going to be Mark Sanchez's team and Lynch is going to be uh, kind of learning from Sanchez and come week six or week seven, the Broncos don't find themselves in a spot that they want to be in because of Sanchez. Maybe they go to Paxton Lynch then. Um, I think it would be best for the Broncos, excuse me, to have Sanchez start and play um, 
you know, the first half of the season, if not the whole year, and groom Paxton Lynch um, kind of what uh, the old NFL days did before, um, but now we see the QBs thrown right into the fire. Um, but the good things we can take out of this uh, and where he really fits is um, Paxton Lynch was a top-graded passer um, when he was rolling out of the pocket um, with 70 uh 0.3% accuracy that led the whole quarterback class. And in the Kubiak system, um, that fits perfectly. Um, as we saw the differentiation of uh, Peyton Manning in that system and Brock Osweiler, a guy who was good at rolling out, um, really changed that offensive system and make it uh, a prolific one. Um, so Paxton Lynch can fit Kubiak's system very well. The questions do surround um, him is that uh, can he play from the pocket and on snap to snap can he make um, reads on progressions that really needs work so I think if they, I think it would be uh, most beneficial if they could sit him for at least a half a year or a full year um, and let him learn those things you know how to play from the pocket and read defenses and, and, and progressions but um, I think it's a great pick for, for Denver uh, I really do I think it's a athletic guy who can play in this league. He just needs a little fine-tuning. Um, but uh, when all is said and done, I wouldn't be surprised if he he surpasses one of the top two quarterbacks uh, as, like, a, a better a better NFL prospect in, in, say, 10 years. I also like the team he's on um, overall. I think he's – I think he had a chance for the most success early on in his career – um, with that offense, with that defense, the coaching staff, um, John Elway is the GM. I, I just really right. like his um, where he's gone. Now, Christian Hackenberg, don't know as much about this kid, but everything I've read about him, everyone seems to really like him. And, I mean, the Jets do need a quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Fitzpatrick did leave, right, in free agency. And – um, they have they have players there. I mean, they have they have a good running game. They have Decker and Marshall. Um, they really just need someone who's going to be able to get these guys the ball. And do you think that Hackenberg is the guy that's going to be doing this for them, or do you think again um, he's there to try and learn the NFL game, learn the personnel there, and either by midseason or maybe the start of next season he'll be taken over. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, just a typical Jets pick. I mean, they're, they're struggling to re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. They they have Geno Smith on the roster. Um, don't forget they drafted Bryce Petty, the Baylor quarterback last year, still on the roster. Um, but this was a guy, Christian Hackenberg, who uh, when he was a freshman in college was, you know, touted to be the, the dot-on number one pick when he was eligible to come out playing, playing under Bill O'Brien at Penn State. Um, and, you know, things things just went haywire from there. Uh, he still ended up being the fourth quarterback taken, but um, I just don't think he, he's got what it takes to really be a, a starting, starting quarterback, a good one at that. There just haven't been a very, very good, a lot of positive reporting on him. Um, I think it's just, you know, the Jets just making these picks on, on quarterbacks just to say they made a pick. Um, Greg McElroy, uh, remember the Alabama um, quarterback that won a few championships, they took him um, in like the second or third round, and he was a, a quarterback that had really no upside or, or NFL talent, and the Jets just kind of wanted to say that they – they took a, a quarterback. So I think this is kind of a parallel on the same lines. I think they're just, you know, in that big media market and trying to make, um, you know, everyone happy by saying they took a quarterback. But uh, Hackenberg was a guy, like I said, who was touted to be the number one quarterback uh, when he was coming out of high school and over four years uh, just did everything to prove that he was not that guy. Um, at Penn State, so uh, so you think see, I guess. this was a bit of a lazy pick by the Jets? Yeah. Yes. Indeed. 
Well, um, that's a shame for them because, you know, based on what I saw last year with Marshall and Decker, it's going to have been a team that's on the rise. And yeah. now you've really got to start questioning who's going to play quarterback for them and going to be able to get those guys the ball because I don't think Geno Smith's the answer. No, they they need to resign Fitzpatrick somehow. They need to get it done. Yeah, I mean, if, I'm Fitzpatrick, if I'm Fitzpatrick, I'd want to go back there. It's probably much the best year right. of his career. Uh, I guess they just have to work out some sort of um, – I'm sure it has something to do with the amount of money and the amount of years on the contract. Uh, hopefully they will be able to get that stuff worked out. But unfortunately, but we're running out of time here, so uh, we got we got to wrap this stuff up. But anything else you um, want to add or say before we, uh, before we do that? No, it was a grand show once again, per usual. Uh, looking forward to next week. Looking work. Looking forward to our football shows. So from the best in the West to the beast in the East, we say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, I believe we're starting the uh, Major League Fantasy Football Weekly on Saturday. So once the season begins, we'll be going back to our Tuesday date. Um, I also want to remind everyone to tune in to my other show, Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly, every Thursday night. It runs from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, also tune in to the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show every Saturday, sorry, every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank Major League Fantasy Sports and R&B for being wonderful partners to us here at the Sports Buffet Radio Network. And thanks to everyone who contributed to our show here today. On behalf of Zach and myself, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Lee Landers, and we will be back next week on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.